Lord, um, speak into our hearts and into our lives. Um, pray you would help us to understand things, big picture, church-wide, and also what's going on in our own lives as well. So we just thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you, Lord, that you're not going anywhere. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you're good to us and you are victorious. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear what you want to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Over the course of this year, I think, really 2019, I think two things became kind of apparent. Firstly, there seemed to be less of us gathering on a Sunday morning. I remember one particular Sunday, Jane and I got back from church on a Sunday morning, and we kind of said to each other, good morning, uh, good worship, you know, good testimonies, uh, good preach. It wasn't me on that morning, it was somebody else. <laughs> uh, good. And God was there, but where was everybody? Yeah. Where was everybody? We, we had a few of those. Now, we know that on any given Sunday, there's going to be a percentage of the church away, for whatever reason. You'll never get everyone, but there does seem to be a point, a percentage, a number... And if that kind of percentage of the church aren't there when you gather, somehow it seems to affect the overall gathering. I don't know why that is, that's just what I reckon. And whatever that percentage or number is, I kind of felt like we're hitting it on a regular basis. And I kind of felt like it started to affect the overall health of the church. So that was one thing that was kind of going on through this year. I'll say a little bit more about that later. Secondly... What was becoming, I was becoming aware of, we were becoming aware of, was there was an increasing number of people with more serious, more long-term, uh, not good things going on in their life. And, and many of them resulted in them not being able to gather when we gathered as a church. It involved them not being able to take part in church life generally. So things like Arwen, suddenly, who's you know, got a terrible situation anyway, suddenly takes a turn for the worse and is in hospital for, a month, for months. Suddenly Sarah Soden, out of nowhere, is taken out for the complete year. <coughs> suddenly Gina Reedy, from out of nowhere, is taken out for the complete year. And I could go on with others, I've just used some physical illness once, but other people battling with things, and uh, suddenly a lot of them, and they were serious. Now, in a church of our size... There's always going to be someone facing a, a difficulty in terms of an illness. There's probably someone struggling with a job. There's maybe a marriage or two. They're a little bit shaky. There's always going to be these things going on. I would say uh, that would be my experience over the last 18 or so years. But I can't think of a time when so many have come in such a short space of time and had such an effect on people. And I think over the last few months, as elders, as we've talked about it, prayed about this, I think we've become increasingly more convinced that actually these two are connected. And I think, put simply, my phrase would be, the devil is attacking our togetherness as a church. That would be my heading. The devil is attacking our togetherness as a church. So it's not primarily, in a sense, about attendance. It's about togetherness. If you like, uh, smaller attendance might be a symptom, but it's not the root. And really, that's what I kind of we want, we want to kind of bring you up to speed with tonight. Let me just say a few things about the devil. Uh, firstly, the Bible says he's opposed to God. He's opposed to God's people. He's opposed to God's kingdom advancing. He wants to destroy. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He accuses you and me before God day and night. He kicks us down and then he kicks us when we're down. That's what he's like. We give him no glory. We just state it how it is. Secondly, he is our enemy. See, the Bible explains that the Christian life isn't like a battle, right? It is a battle. 
And we need to be aware that we have an enemy, we need to be aware of his tactics, uh, so that we can fight accordingly. And thirdly, it says that he schemes, says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Which therefore means the Bible has schemes. He has a variety of them. He's a schemer. He will try different <coughs> different, different people at different times. And I think at this time, he's using a variety of schemes, but the goal seems to be to isolate individual Christians and thereby try and weaken their faith. And by doing it all at the same time, he's trying, I think, to affect the faith and effectiveness as us, as a church overall. And so he can't destroy the kingdom of God, but he can try and stop it advancing by taking out individuals and by taking out whole regiments if he has the chance. So if you like, over the last number of months, there's been a kind of growing awareness of this. So if you like, a growing amount of prayer um, by uh, us as elders particularly, that God would speak, would guide us, would show us how to respond. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of, in a few minutes, what's been going on, if you like, behind the scenes. So we know we're in a battle. We know that one of our adversaries is the devil, and I'll come back to him in a moment. But before we blame everything on him, I think it's worth taking a just a few minutes to think about a couple of other adversaries that we have that the Bible tells us about, namely the world and the flesh. So just thinking about the world for a moment, it is possible to argue that back in the day, things in this nation were set up to encourage Christians to gather. <coughs> on a Sunday morning, there was nothing else to do. The shops were closed, <laughs> nothing else was going on. You could even say that, in fact, midweek activities back in the day, like life groups, prayer meetings, were easier because many people were closer to home, many people were closer to nine to five hours, many didn't have to do crazy commutes, many weren't contactable by phones and emails, etc. First time they gave my dad a pager so he could be contactable, he shoved it in his briefcase, shoved it in the boot of his car. I'm not going to be contactable by you. We wouldn't think of that now, would we? We are contactable all the time. Today, Sunday is treated by the world just like another day off. It's a good day to go shopping, play sports. Let's have kids' parties we used to have on a Saturday. Have them on a Sunday, because it's a good day. I don't think I need to convince you, really, that the influence of the world will not be helpful in terms of the church being together. It will provide alternatives. It will provide distractions. So without doubt, the world we live in affects our togetherness, and not in a positive way, so we just need to be aware of that and make sure that we keep our priorities right. I tend to think of it like the illustration of a bowling ball, crown green bowling, not ten pin bowling, that has a weight on one side, as Royal Lorraine will, will tell you, which means that even if you bowl it straight, which they try to do, I think, uh, it does bend one way. It's got, it's got that weight, that bias towards it. And I think in the same way, the world will always try and pull us away or get us travelling in a way that takes us away from God, and in a sense, away from his people. The other one, just to mention, is the flesh. Because it's best be, just be honest, it's very easy to get out of the habit of going to church, going to life group, going to a prayer meeting, some other church gathering. We can figure we're tired, we're too busy, we can't see the point, will I really be missed? It's easy to kind of think, well, my spiritual health won't really suffer. The spiritual health of the church won't really suffer. It's easy, I think, for a week off from church once a month, over time to become, well, twice a month, to become, well, I just go when I serve, to become, why am I going? I just seem to be serving all the time. Nobody starts off at the end point, but it's easy 
to get there, I know because I have. It's very easy. So without doubt, our flesh at different times and in different ways can affect our togetherness, not in a positive way. And we better deal with it accordingly. The Bible just tells us crucify the flesh. That's how you deal with it. You've got to crucify the flesh. You've got to say, put the thing to death. Don't give in to it. Do what you know God wants you to do. Again, I think using the bowling ball, the flesh will always take us on a trajectory away from God because, let's be honest, it's always trying to put ourselves at the centre. What's most comfortable for me, what's easiest for me, what's best for me. And the problem is that's trying to put us on the throne of our lives and Jesus wants to be on the throne of our lives. And so that's the way the flesh operates. Now I just wanted to take some time to go through that in terms of our fight with the word and the flesh. Because even though I do believe the devil is attacking us, we can't just pin everything on him. There may be some people even here tonight for whom the world or the flesh is a bigger problem. I'd be amazed if there weren't areas of both at one time or another that we all battle with. And to be honest with you, if we just get lazy and use the devil as an excuse for things that are really our issue, that's not going to help us. So we need to, in that case, ask the Holy Spirit, speak to us, show us. Are there things, in a sense, that we're responsible to that is not helping our togetherness as a church? And if, if the Holy Spirit highlights something, we can repent, we can change our ways. So does that everybody understand that? I don't want to pin everything on the devil if it's not the devil, because really that won't be helpful. But I do think the devil is having a go at us. I do, I want to say that, I do. But I just think we've got to be careful that we don't blame him for everything. I know some people think the devil's behind everything. You know, their car breaks down, their boiler goes, they trip up. You know, they don't like the taste of their muffin. It's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> not, it's not the devil, really, honestly. It's really, really not. So I just want to, uh, just want to say that. So let me talk about two prophetic words. Uh, I put them in your uh, handout. So just bear in mind that as elders and as individuals, we've been praying, thinking about this for some time over the last few months. But there's been a couple of really helpful prophetic words. The first one was Dan Platt's uh, uh, about a month ago. I thought he was going to come up and share, you know, <coughs> just the trees of man in the back of the cab or whatever it was. Uh, but it wasn't. If you remember, he came and he, it was, he was talking about feeling tired, understandably, because he'd worked half the night as a taxi driver. And so he was kind of wrestling, do I go to church, don't I? His flesh was definitely saying don't. The devil was definitely saying, yeah, no, don't. You've got a nice warm bed, you've worked all night. But Dan, bless him, opened up his Bible and he read the verse there that talks about them going into the temple and eating special bread. And he felt God challenge him and say, you know, when you gather as a church, like on Sunday morning, there's special bread. There's spiritual food that you can't get on your own, Dan, as an individual Christian. And if you remember, Dan said, then he said, and secondly, God said, we have an enemy and, uh, and we're in a battle. And the devil doesn't want us gathering as a church and he doesn't want us receiving uh, his spiritual food that God has for us. And the timing of Dan's word was so significant because that's what he was talking about, why gathering is important. And he was linking it to the devil trying to have a go at us. And that was exactly what we were talking and praying about as elders. It was absolutely spot on. And after Dan's word, during a prayer time, praying about, saying, God, thank you so much for Dan's word, I felt the Holy Spirit just remind me of Jesus reading the scroll about what he came to do. I think I'll put the verse in your notes. Luke 4.16. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up on the Sabbath day, went to the synagogue as of his custom, 
he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, or the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The prophet Isaiah, years before, had stated this is what the Messiah will come to do. And Jesus then reads it out and says, today it's been fulfilled. In other words, I'm the Messiah, I am now here, and this is what I have come to do. And it was all about setting the captives free, binding up the brokenhearted. And I realised that this, in a sense, is what the devil has been doing. Through illnesses and situations, through messing with people's minds, telling them lies, all manner of different schemes, he's been actively seeking to imprison the very people in this church that Jesus died on the cross to set free. I've got anger at that point. Righteously angry at that point. Now, just taking you on the timeline, by this time we'd kind of called this meeting and a day of prayer and fasting about the situation. But to be honest, we were still praying, God, would you guide us? Would you help us understand and explain what's going on and what you, what we should do about it? Uh, maybe as elders we give the impression that we always know what we're doing. Let me just tell you, if you had a video camera on our elders' meetings, you would realise how different it is, really. Just, God, would you help us to understand? Would you help us to explain? Etc., uh, etc. Et and then Jenny brought her prophetic word a couple of Sundays ago. And she knew nothing of the details that I've just shared with you about what we as elders have been praying about. All she knew was the announcement of this meeting, which I've been giving on a Sunday morning, which doesn't really say that much. And I believe that the word Jenny gave is from God, that it's an answer to our prayers that he would help us understand what's happening and what our response should be individually and corporately. In fact, yesterday morning in our elders' meetings, as we read through Jenny's word, Kevin said, it's like she's been in the room, hearing all the things we've been discussing and wondering and praying. Now, of course, Jenny wasn't in the room. I don't think she was, anyway. But God was in the room. And God has answered our prayers by speaking what he wanted to say through Jenny by giving her that prophetic word, which is what a prophetic word is. It's God speaking through somebody, what he wants said. Now I know I've taken a little time with that, but I wanted you to understand not only the significance of what she said, but the timing of it. Because the timing on these things is often so important. Because it's often by the timing that you realise, oh God, you are answering. You are answering. So let me just go through, read for you, for anyone who wasn't there a couple of Sunday mornings ago when Jenny brought it. Interestingly, in a time when I think whoever's leaders asked for words of knowledge, and then Jenny came up with this prophetic word. And I thought, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. But let me just read what Jenny said. She, uh, she emailed it to us. I saw a huge tree, like an oak, with spreading branches and thick with green leaves. Under the tree were people from the church with their hands lifted up as in prayer. Occasionally someone would climb down from the tree and join those under the tree in prayer. Suddenly a strong wind blew the leaves from off the tree and I saw cages like parrot cages containing people. The cages were locked and had names on chronic illness, mental illness, depression, fear, etc. 
Circling above the tree were huge black birds with flapping wings. The Lord said that a change was going to come and he was going to blow on the church with the wind of the Spirit and give us a special healing anointing. I saw locks opening on the cages and people coming down from the tree. I realised afterwards that the birds were then imprisoned in the cages that people had been held captive in. The wind blew and the tree once again began to grow new leaves. The Lord said he was preparing a table for us to feast on. And I saw a huge table with great big ladle-sized spoons. Did you hear that, Martin? Great big ladle-sized <laughs> spoons. And we were told... Apologies. We were told not to hold back, but to eat until we were full. The bowls had names on, the fruit of the Spirit, ministry gifts, in particular healings of all kinds, both physical and spiritual. The table had four legs, prayer, commitment, dedication, and obedience. The Lord said that the people would flock to the church as they heard of the healings that would take place. My overall feeling about this word is that we are going to take back what the enemy has stolen from us. The Lord is blessing us with an anointing, but the devil is not going to stand back and let us just take it. We need to sharpen our swords and check our spiritual armour and prepare for battle. Blessings, Jenny. Blessings to you, Jenny, as well. Um, so let's just go through this. Right, The first paragraph or picture is of an oak tree. Now, most of you will know the symbol for King's Church is an oak tree. So I think we can say this is talking about us as a church. Spreading branches, green leaves, it's kind of expressing, describing a picture of health. With some people under the tree praying, and occasionally someone from the tree, stroke church, coming down to join them in praying. I'll come back to that later, but just remember that little phrase there. And then the second paragraph, or picture, is of a strong wind blowing, causing the leaves to come off the tree, which I suppose is a picture of this wind, this first wind bringing unhealthiness to the tree. And now suddenly there are cages appearing on the tree, which contain people trapped inside. And on these cages were names like chronic illness, mental illness, depression, fear, and above the tree circling these huge black birds. Now just thinking about that paragraph going in reverse, I think it's clear the black birds represent the devil and his agents. In prophetic language, God and his angels are often portrayed as white birds or doves for obvious reasons, and the devil uh, the opposite. And see, the devil had managed to imprison or cage people through things like physical illness, mental illness, depression, fear, all things that over this last year people in this church have and still are suffering with. And things that are not part of the kingdom of God. They're not part of the kingdom of God. And not only were those, uh, not only therefore were those people in cages, but actually the church was losing health as a result, as symbolised by the leaves coming off. And I just want to say that personally, this picture, this description of people being in cages and prison, what they were going through as described, really resonated with me. When, when I've been praying with four people over this last year in my own prayer times, often I've got to the stage, and I've never got this before in 18 years of leading this church, I just ran out of words. Because God, I don't know what to pray, they seem so trapped, this seems so terrible, I don't know what else to, that we do as a church, just, just that's where I've got to on many occasions. And the breakthrough seems so slow, God. But then the third paragraph or picture is about a change coming as God blows the wind of his spirit on things. And know that he blows and we get a healing anointing. 
people get set free from the cages. The birds get stuck in the cages where they belong. Amen, hallelujah. And we as a church get the ability to see people set free from those cages. So don't miss that God blows and God sets people free. But he does it through anointing his church to be involved and active. That's you and me. That's how he's going to work. And in fact, Jenny said to me just on this Sunday, that she remembered that God said to her, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm, by that, he said, I'm giving you the keys to unlock the cages that these people are imprisoned in. And as people were set free, so new leaves began to grow, symbolising this health coming back to the church. And then in the final paragraph or picture, God says he's preparing a table for us to feast on and we can eat as much as we can. And on the table were bowls which had different names on, like the fruits of the Spirit, ministry gifts, healing gifts of all kinds. And the table had four legs and each had a different name. Prayer, commitment, dedication and obedience. Now we know that a table is held up by its legs, there its foundations, there is strength and its solidness. If you take away a leg, the whole thing collapses, the food disappears. And then the picture is of many people coming as they hear of these healings, as they hear of people being set free from these cages. I think this is such a helpful picture. I found it such a helpful picture. I think it's helpful, number one, because I think it describes where we are, which is helpful, and kind of what's been going on. I think it's helpful as well because it contains a promise from God that he's going to do, he's going to move, he's going to blow, he's going to do what only he can do in terms of releasing his spirit and setting people free and anointing us to be involved in that. So it sets where we are. It also sets that God saying, no, no, I'm going to do that which only I can do. But it also, I think, moves on to explain, in a sense, what we must do and give ourselves to if we want to see this come about. And I think that's best summed up, summed up in those four table legs. See, we need what's in the bowl to set people free, but we need to be doing the things on the table legs to be anointed with the things in the bowl. Do you follow that? I like pictures like this because even I can get my head around them. <laughs> right, God, I want what's in the bowl to set people free, but I need to be doing the things on the legs and then in the bowl and then people get free off the cages. Okay, I'm with you. Talk to me in words I can understand. Janet and John Bible would be fine with me. That's what I like. So let me just look at these four things. Committed. I looked these up in the Oxford English Dictionary. Committed. Pledged or bound to a certain course or policy denoting a long-term emotional relationship. Dedicated. Devoted to a task or purpose. Exclusively allocated to or intended for a particular purpose. The difference between committed and dedicated is fine, but it is interesting. Someone put it as this, commitment is about one's obligation, while dedication is about one's passion in the execution of that obligation. No, God, I'm committed, but you know what, I'm not committed half-heartedly or lazily or whatever. No, no, I'm committed with a passion. I'm going to sacrifice because I'm dedicated to this commitment. That's kind of the, the important but subtle difference. Obedient, it says complying or willing to comply with an order or request, submissive to another's authority. Obviously being obedient to God. And then the last one was prayer, which I thought the English Oxford Dictionary did quite well. A solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or other deity. So well done then. <laughs> let, 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 me, let, me just, let me just hit on prayer for a moment. I think it's interesting that in the first picture of the tree, only a few were praying. 
And it, the word that killed me was, and occasionally someone else came down from the tree and joined those in prayer. And if we were maybe looking for a reason, and there may be more than one, and I'm not blaming anybody, but just if we were looking for one reason why this happened, the only clue we might get from this word is that reference to only a few praying and only occasionally a few coming down to pray. That line is strange. You know what I mean? When I read it, that's as I read it, I think, ah, that's not good. Why is there only a few occasionally coming down to pray? Okay, perhaps there's something in that that we need to look at. Which is why the first thing we did was talk about prayer and fasting. Come on, we need to pray about this. But whatever the reason, I think prayer is a key leg on the table. I actually think prayer is where we need to start, where the response needs to begin, corporately and individually. So that's really why the day of prayer and fasting on Saturday the 1st is important. But it's only a first step. I think we simply have to be a people that pray more individually and as a church. That's, that's, that's what I think. So I think some of these questions that I put in here, how much do you and I pray for this church? How much do we pray for each other? How much do we pray for our key gatherings like Sunday morning, life groups, prayer meetings? Hello, Hi. How much do we pray for those who are battling with the things on those cases? I mean, how much do we pray? I don't mean how much do we say we'll pray. I mean, how much do we pray? How much do we really pray? How much do we put time in? to crying out to God for those things. From next year, Kevin is going to expand the prayer initiative he started in support of Bobby and Amy to include others who are dealing with more serious, more long-term issues. So that's kind of one way that over the course of next year we can, as a church, be praying for people uh, around those kind of things. How do we pray more? How do we pray more effectively, I think, is a question that we need to ask as a church and as individuals. How do we pray more and more effectively for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our nation, for unbelievers? I'm a firm believer that it's prayer that somehow moves God to action and the things that he wants to see. Perhaps that's why prayer often seems so difficult sometimes. Because it does. Sometimes prayer is just hard work. Sometimes, God, am I just talking to the ceiling? But, 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 we, but prayer is a thing that does somehow, God responds to the prayers of his people. Why he's done it that way, I do not know. But he has. So I do think of all those four legs, I think prayer is kind of the one that we need to start with. Let me just say, in terms of our mission and vision, that I think this is right in line with our mission as a church. I think it's actually fundamental to why we as King's Church exist. You know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but it was only a short while ago that I realised that the verse that talks about us being oaks of righteousness, that is kind of the verse that when this church was planted, they kind of spoke over us. The verses before that line are that bit in Isaiah that Jesus read out from the scroll. Now that's how stupid I am. Isaiah 61, 1-3. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, send me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, release for darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
All that you could put under the heading of release them from the cages. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So this is what Jesus came to do. It's why he planted this church. This is what oaks of righteousness do. It's this kind of thing. It's this that we need to be anointed for so that people can get set free and get out of their cages. So I think this is right in line with our mission. I also think this is linked to our vision. Because we said that we wanted to grow, we wanted to reach out, we wanted to plant a second congregation. That's still our desire, that's still our intention, and I don't think the devil likes it. I don't think he likes the fact we're thinking to play our part in advancing the kingdom. I don't think he likes the fact that we do crisscross. I don't think he likes the fact that we do alpha. I don't think he likes the fact that we're teaching 330 year rating. I don't think he likes any of it. And I think that if we were no threat to him, he'd leave us alone. But we do not want to be no threat to him. We want to be a threat to him. And so he's responding. But we're not called to be fearful. We're definitely not called to stop. We are called... As we worshipped earlier, we are called to continue and we are called to trust in God. Because he has already beaten the devil. He's overcome. So he can set people free because he's mightier and stronger. And if we'll look to God and trust him and lay down our lives, then he will protect us and guide us and bless us and anoint us. And I do believe we will feast at that table and have the joy of being used as God sets many young people and children and adults free from those cages. This is what we're battling for. We're not battling just to have a nicey-nicey church cup of tea one of Mr. Kipling's fancies. Stop. If you want that, go down the local tennis club or wherever, wherever. It's not what we're battling for. God has set us free from the cage that we were in. Right? We were in one of those cages. Maybe not with this description, but we were in there with our sin. And God has set us free. We need to give ourselves to playing our part, to seeing other people freed. So what do we want people to do? Well, uh, uh, we obviously need to look more at this in the, new, in, the, in the new year, which we'll do. But just a few things. I don't want to overload, and I'm aware it's now 23 minutes past, so I'm going to stop in one minute. We want people to pray and fast on Saturday the 1st of December. Right? Please pray and fast. Take time to reflect, to read this, to pray through these. Ask God, is there anything that he wants you to do? Decide in terms of your commitment, dedication, obedience to him, to prayer. What does that look like for you in 2019? So pray and fast on Saturday the 1st of December and take time to engage with God on what's been shared tonight and what God wants you to do yourself. Early next year as a church, I think we'll talk more about the table legs, we'll talk more about uh, praying and being equipped in terms of healing and, and anointing and how we're going to do that. So this is not a kind of end of, but this is a start of. Um, yeah. Has that been helpful? Yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to shut up and hand over to Tim now. Oh, yeah. Tim, <laughs> 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 <laughs>